should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull****. It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, 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 welcome to Little Friday. It is Thursday, July 29th here on the Michelle Miao Show. I'm Michelle Miao, your host, and our producer, Jax, is in studio. What's going on, Jax? It's the 30th. It's the 30th. Did I say the 29th? I, yeah, there's something wrong with me in dates. There are 31 days in this month, so today would be the 30th because it's August 1st on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> I followed that. Sorry, guys. It's little Thursday. Welcome. It's You already know the 30th. Thank you for correcting. Um... All right, geez, I feel like there's been so much going on in the news lately that we should probably take you know a few minutes just to kind of go through what have been some of the most major headlines. First and foremost, today, breaking news, something horrific actually, right, Jax? Yes, it's terrifying. It's terrible. In Jerusalem, their gay pride was today, and there is an extremist, an Orthodox Jew, mm-hmm. who... 10 or 12 years ago, stabbed uh, multiple people at the Pride Parade. He got out of jail a few weeks ago and today stabbed six people at the Jerusalem Pride. Uh, I believe two are in critical condition. Ugh. That is just so scary. And I want to say here on the show, our hearts and uh, our thoughts, our prayers are with the families who've been uh, affected by this hate crime. I'm going to call it a hate crime. Um... And also to Jerusalem, I, I, you know, I hope that there's a, a moment of prayer and a moment of, uh, of healing from the situation. I, you know, what do you say about somebody who immediately after being released from a crime goes back out and does the exact same thing? 10 or 12 years just sitting there and thinking about thinking doing it again. Thinking about the next, yeah. So, um, I mean, I, mentally... Yeah this person is not okay yeah so um well some other headlines that have uh, been impacting our social media feeds is a, a clip actually that we will play of Cara Delevingne who is a model a supermodel but now dabbling into the acting world uh Cara you know is a big name especially in the LGBTQI community um and she's you know widely known for speaking up about these you know labelless relationships or just being able to be who you are she's had relationships with women currently is in one uh, with uh, a, uh, a musician who goes by the name St. Vincent. She also dated Michelle Rodriguez, you know, is bisexual. Uh, but anyway, she was interviewed by a couple of hosts of Good Morning Sacramento, in which I have a lot to say about that, considering I go home to the Central Valley of California, and that's what I'm forced to watch. But why don't you listen to what has transpired? Because by now, I'm sure you heard that, you know, she had this very awkward interview with Good Morning Sacramento. Listen to this. 
Delavine is in the movie. She joins us live from New York City to talk about Paper Towns. Cara, good morning. Hey. Hi, how you doing? We're doing all right. Nice to have you here. So the movie is based on a best-selling uh, book by John Green. You play Margot, uh, the star character there. Did you get a chance? Uh, the book is taught, I know, at a lot of high schools and such. Did you get a chance to read it, or do you even have time to sit and read? <laughs> These days you're so busy. Uh, no, I never read the book. All the script, actually, I kind of winged it. Yeah, uh, no, of course, <laughs> I love the book. Nice I think try. the book's amazing. Uh, John Green is an incredible author. Um, so really, if you haven't read his books, you, you should. They're really, don't miss them. You know, I'm wondering, looking at, as Marianne was talking about how busy you are, and looking at your IMDb and all the projects, it's like you are doing one thing after the next after the next. Do you find that it's easier for you to focus because you're so busy? If you had downtime, maybe it wouldn't be so easy for you? What do you think? No, I don't know where that comes from. No, I think uh, it's not easier to focus. I think, I mean, I love what I do. It's, it's, it's not crazy. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's my passion, all of these things. You know, I've wanted to do this since I was young, so it's not, it's not too hard. <laughs> not too hard? All right. Yeah. What do you like about Margot? I'm living my dream. Specifically. Do you have anything in common with her? No, I actually hate her. Yeah, I mean, of course, we, we have a lot in common. Um, uh, you know, we connected because I think a lot of the script, I'd read some of the lines and I'd, I'd said them before and, and weird, weird coincidences like that. But again, you know, I, I, I watched the film and if it was me, if I was actually Margot, the whole movie would be different. So, you know, oh, really? Different as well. Hey, you know, hey, I want to jump yeah. in here. First of all, uh, I love the movie. Uh, I love the author. I know I'm out of the demo, but I still really dig this movie. This is the teenager I always wanted to be because they're eloquent. They speak like middle-aged screenwriters rather than the awkward, dopey yeah. adolescent that I was. <laughs> so I love it. Now, with that said, I saw you in London talking a couple weeks ago on TV, and you seemed a lot more excited about it than you do right now. Are you just exhausted? Oh, uh, no, I mean, I'm still very excited. I'm, you know, the premiere was last night. It was an emotional, it was an emotional night. It felt like the end of an era, but I'm not any less excited than I was a couple of weeks ago. Oh, you, Maybe I had a bit more energy. It's the morning. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you, do, you, seem, you do seem a bit, a bit irritated. Perhaps it's just us. No, no, I think it's just you. But I think it probably is us. Yeah. <laughs> well, then on that note... We figured as much. We figured as much. We'll let you go then. How about that? Right. We'll let you go take a little nap, maybe get a Red Bull. How about that? <laughs> Cara Delevingne, thank okay, you no. so much Too for fun. your time. Paper Towns coming out too. And she's also in that Taylor Swift video, Bad Blood. Everybody probably recognizes her from that as well. Yeah, just stretch out and see it, won't you? <laughs> it's a good movie. <laughs> that's so funny. Let's tune in and see what you... Oh! With the that, that's got to be the death of their career if it's not already dead. I mean, I, they were so, these hosts were incredibly rude. I'm sure of it. They'll never get asked to do, you know, one of these uh, press junkets for the celebrities who come through town with new movies. I can't believe they just did that. Yeah. They just ruined everything for themselves. Right. It's not Why would like, anyone want to go on their show yeah. if they're going to, oh, 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 like, let's make fun of our guest who's right. actually much more successful than us. Right. Exactly. It's not like you're like Al Roker or like, what's that guy? That Even that bald guy who has his own helicopter, Matt Lauer. And, you know, those, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, 
first of all, being me and doing this and knowing that you must humble yourself. And, and when these opportunities come, you know, Cara Delevingne is going to increase your ratings just by breathing on your show, just by you being able to tweet to the world that, hey, Cara Delevingne is going to be on the show. That's doing you like a huge service. Broadening your demographic. The younger people are going to tune in. And then they're tuning in to these people who don't have any real questions prepared. Exactly. And they're in this like making fun of the artists. Right. Making fun of the artists. First of all, oh, your IMDb seems full. It's like first, it's just like someone that's asking me. Admitting yeah. that that's how they did their research. They yeah. went to IMDb. Freaking doofuses. But you know, it's like asking me like, you do you ever get tired of doing a radio show? No. I mean, you know, it's what I do. It's like I... I Has anyone ever been tired at work? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You've been tired, but I'm saying like, you know, I, I don't know. I don't even understand that question first and, f and, and uh, first of all, but like asking her if she's done research for a role that she's playing. I mean, there's a better way of asking an actress of how they've prepped for the actual role. Uh, but to go and have this condescending question of if they've like, you know, done any reading at all or something, you know, and I just it was just like, OK, so I'm sure Good Day Sacramento and their producers are over there like, oh, it's the most attuned in thing. You guys did a great job by making jackasses of yourself but I promise you that this type of attention is short-lived and, and it'll be the death of these hosts. To be honest with you, I'm not surprised because again, like I said, I'm forced to watch the show when I go to my Ugh, sister's house because they don't do cable um, and it's horrible. They do horrible things. It's like horrible production. Like I could sit in a room and probably command a much bigger crowd than them going out there and you know, like the last segment I watched was like they were talking about how hipsters now are the, all the rage. <laughs> I, I cannot. And they had their host go out there to, to try to even get a man, uh, a man's, I don't know, they were trying to get a, like a man beard for one of their hosts. It, it's horrible. I'm going to stop there. But anyway, I, I am all about Carasite. Oh, I love how she handled it. Sarcasm. Oh, yeah. Right. Played it cool, like rolling her eyes, but in this like, she has the upper hand. Right. I mean, you know, uh, she 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 tweeted, she responded, and uh, that she didn't think they understood a, a Brit's sense of humor. I don't think they do. They didn't. But, I mean, they're also not sitting in the same room. No. Which... That, that's the thing about these interviews is you can't see that person on the yeah. other side. You, you know, and I've done this before. Our last one was with Maria Bello. And you just got to recognize that, you know, you've got a few minutes before you've got to move on to the other person. And these celebrities are, in, you know, they're up at the crack of dawn and they're they're just cranking these out. And they, you know, so there's no room for like, uh, you know, let me be all super cherry. And then there's the <laughs> argument that, OK, she makes X amount of million dollars to wake up and do these things. You know what? Yeah. But it doesn't mean that she's not human. It, she can be herself. <laughs> like. <laughs> Right. She's an actress. Right. She doesn't have to Right. Anyway. Act. I don't know. Yeah. Kara, if you want to come on our program, I promise you we will be respectful. We will be, be intelligent. As sarcastic as you want. You can be sarcastic. We will find it entertaining. You can be sleepy. We'll still find you extremely sexy and cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Get that smoky eye. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that raspy voice. I love it. I love it. Anyway, so, uh, you know, more headlines. Um, hey, I wanted to bring this up to you. I read this, uh, you know, in a, uh, just really quick. I, we don't have a clip on it or anything, but there's a lesbian out there who's promoting a GoFundMe page who's a butch lesbian but wants to or has made the decision to go back to being straight. And so in order to do that, she needs to go out and buy all these new clothes, uh, fem feminine clothes. <laughs> so she has a GoFundMe. 
GoFundMe page. Wait, is this? She's being serious. She's being serious. It's being you know people are super pissed about it. Like, <laughs> I feel like she's got to like. And then be like, haha, fooled you. Thanks for the money. I'm super gay. Right. This but yeah, exactly. I, I just want to put it out there. There are crazy people out there. It doesn't mean that oh gay people God. are crazy. Yeah. Um, our next big news of the week, of course, you've heard the Boy Scouts have decided or have voted and, and have progressed in their in their policy in that uh, they're opening up the policy to include um, gay adults. And here is the message from Robert Gates. Every day in every community in America, scouting is changing lives, teaching young people skills and leadership, helping them build character and integrity. As I said during our national annual meeting in May, due to the social, political, and legal changes taking place in our country and in our movement, I did not believe the adult leadership policy could be sustained. Any effort to do so was inevitably going to result in simultaneous legal battles in multiple jurisdictions and at staggering cost. The best way to allow BSA to continue to focus on its mission and preserve its core values was to address the issue and set our own course. And that's what we've done. On Monday, July 27th, and that's what they've done. So what incredible new message from Robert Gates and the Boy Scouts of America. Uh, I think that that's a great step in, uh, in equality here for this country. Um, and last news for you, Caitlyn Jenner, of course, the I Am Kate show, the journey of her transition, has uh, it's launched. It played, uh, the, uh, it played on Sunday on E! Entertainment. So we just wanted to play the trailer to remind you to tune in uh, as you'll learn, you know, Caitlin's own personal transition and how this can improve your education regarding trans issues. So many people go through life and they never deal with their own issues. No matter what the issues are, ours happen to be gender identity. But how many people go through life and just waste their entire life because they never deal with themselves to be who they are? You know, you go through all of this stuff and you start learning kind of the pressure that women are under all the time about their appearance. I never had until a couple of weeks ago uh, actually a professional come in and do my makeup. What a difference. <laughs> okay, we're officially off the property. We're out into the world. It's so <laughs> bright out there. Look at that. Isn't it great that maybe someday you'll be normal? Well, Just blend into normal. society. You are normal. Put it this way. I'm the new normal. I'm the new normal. I love that. So tune in. I think it's a uh, Sunday nights on the E Entertainment Network. I'm sure it's out there on the internet for you to find out. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, our guest is Allison Wright, who is with the Gay and Lesbian Advocates uh, Defenders, and we're going to talk about Walmart. Yes, Walmart is in the news, and there is a discrimination case. So don't go away. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this little Friday, and that is Thursday, July 30th. I'm Michelle Meow, your host, and back there in studio punching, doing amazing things is our producer, Jax. On the phone with us, our next guest is Allison Wright, who is with Gay Lesbian Advocates and Defenders. And uh, we're going to be discussing a situation with Walmart. Uh, just a few days ago, a coalition of 12 organizations sent a letter to Walmart CEO Douglas McMillian asking that the company settle a class action lawsuit that alleges that employees married to same-sex spouses were discriminated against because they were denied health insurance benefits or their spouses were denied health insurance benefits. So to help us navigate this and tell the story correctly is Allison. Allison, welcome to the show. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me. So this is confusing because it was announced, you know, all throughout the news that Walmart had, in fact, extended same-sex benefits to LGBT or I should say lesbian and gay uh, employees. Um, But it sounds like the discrimination continues. Tell us about it. Well, actually, Walmart did uh, alter its discriminatory policy, um, I believe, last year. Um, However, that doesn't um, excuse the harm that has been suffered by other Walmart employees who tried to enroll or could have enrolled their same-sex spouse uh, to receive uh, spousal health benefits through Walmart. Um, For example, our our lead plaintiff, um, Jackie Cody, her and her wife have suffered at least $150,000 worth of medical debt um, because they were unable to find insurance uh, when Walmart repeatedly denied Jackie's request to enroll her same-sex spouse. Uh, into their uh, spousal health program. Mm. And so, um, you know, and if this is all uh, the couples who were denied, especially before they had altered their policy, I'm guessing that there's more than one, you know, couple that have been discriminated against uh, who have worked for Walmart or who are currently working for Walmart, right? Yes, absolutely. We actually filed a class action against Walmart. So we're estimating anywhere between hundreds to thousands of people may be part of this class. 
but only time will tell. Um, but most importantly, what we're looking for is for Walmart uh, to do the right thing um, and to uh, help um, cure the harms that people have suffered, like Jackie Coat right. um, and other Walmart employees. The letter that I had mentioned that was sent to Walmart CEO was signed by you know a total of twelve organizations, uh, including Glad, uh, signed by National LGBTQ Task Force and National Women's Law Center, Pride at Work, Freedom to Work, um, some you know labor organizations. And you know, have you gotten a response from Walmart at all? I uh, know we are still waiting to hear from Walmart about the suit. Um, you know, we did um, go through the EEOC process, so the EEOC is the uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and they're the federal agency in charge of enforcing Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. Um, so before filing suit, you know, you have to uh, file a charge of discrimination with the EEOC. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went through that formal procedure first, and unfortunately conciliation through the EEOC failed. Um, so now we're hoping that now that we've filed a complaint against Walmart in Massachusetts District Court, they will again come forward uh, with a resolution Right, right. I'm hoping that it's also fast and soon because they're very, you know, quick to to have at least, you know, public uh, marketing messages that is inclusive of our community participating in, in pride organizations and also, yeah, you know, um, at least responding to religious freedom bills. I think that doing something like this from a, from the legal perspective and providing from those who have been harmed would be something that they need to do, Right. Absolutely, and that was actually one of the most frustrating things for our client, Jackie Cody, that she's been uh, uh, trying since 2008 to enroll her same-sex spouse into uh, Walmart's uh, spousal health insurance uh, program. Um, And the thing that was most frustrating for her was that she was required to attend these diversity trainings as a Walmart employee, and yet she felt like these diversity trainings um, didn't encompass her needs um, as a lesbian woman married to another woman. Mm, Right. Right. And, and, and the case uh, against Jody, I, I believe that, uh, you know, this was back in 2012 that we're talking about. Or that was just when that she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and throughout the entire process had incurred a large medical bill that wasn't uh, supported or, I guess, paid for by by insurance or extended insurance from Walmart. Correct. Yeah, I mean, that's when the large medical expenses started to build up um, because um, Jackie's wife, uh, Dee, was diagnosed with ovarian cancer uh, in 2012, you are correct. Um, and uh, the private health insurance that they were able to acquire dropped her um, from coverage a month after she was diagnosed. Um, and, you know, they tried to enroll in MassHealth, uh, which is a state program um, that provides health insurance uh, to people who don't have health insurance, but she didn't qualify. Um, so it was really they fell into this, this loophole um, because Walmart essentially did not recognize the legal and valid same-sex marriages of, of other Walmart employees. Right. Right. It's just uh, it's frustrating because as we try to navigate this, even after, you know, the big announcement from the Supreme Court decision, this is the part where we say, yeah, it's great that, you know, we're celebrating, but then we also need to continue, you know, fighting. Um, and, 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 you know, just from yourself in being a part of GLAAD and doing what you do, are these types of cases something that we'll see more and more of? Yes, Absolutely. I mean, Obergefell uh, versus Hodges, which is the Supreme Court decision that was handed down on, on June 27th, um, is a landmark decision. Um, and, you know, it's hard to tell at this point the impact that that decision will have in other areas that impact LGBTQ people. 
But right now, you know, all we can say is that that decision secures the right of same-sex couples to marry. It does not, however, uh, ensure that employers like Walmart are going to treat those marriages equally um, like those for opposite-sex couples. Right. Right. These are the things that like I, I truly I feel like there are a lot of leaders like yourselves over at Glad that were saying like this is this is good. But, you know, we, we're, we're going to need to kind of look into this and how uh, people's lives are going to change. It's going to take some time. But um, yeah. but these types of, of, of lawsuits, you know, this is the course of action that we need to take. It's unfortunate that we haven't heard from Walmart. I know it's only been a, a couple of days or so. But, you know, what do you think? And, and I know you probably can't give us, you know, your ultimate opinion since it's a legal matter. Um, but, you know, these companies that have bought into the gay dollars and want our money, uh, <laughs> do, you, right. do, do you, I mean, do we feel, you know, that these companies will, will do the right thing? That's our hope. Yeah. I mean, um, I think me and my, uh, co-counsel, who is Peter Roma Freeman at the Lord's Many Civil Rights in D.C. are very hopeful, um, that Walmart will step forward and do the right thing and put forth an adequate resolution that will meet the needs of people they harm. And, you know, uh, one, a couple more questions for you, and we'll let you go. Uh, there are employees currently, uh, you know, employed by Walmart who are actively trying to work within the company and its framework to, you know, kind of be more inclus- inclusive of LGBTQ people and their employees and rights. Um, if, if you you know, we're, there's a Walmart worker, especially here in the San Francisco Bay Area, who work for more of the tech side, um, you know, if there was something that you could say in terms of something they might be able to do, is there anything that they could do? Well, yeah, I mean, actually, specifically with this case that we filed, Cody versus Walmart and Massachusetts District Court, because the class is national, we would love to hear from other Walmart employees or even former Walmart employees um, who were harmed by this policy. Um, you know, the bigger the class, the better. Um, so if they could put us in touch with gay and lesbian advocates and defenders, you can go to our website, www.glad.org, uh, to get in touch with us or some contact information there. Um, and I think, you know, the most important thing is to never give up. <laughs> um, you know, it's really hard working with, uh, working, you know, trying to get the largest employer uh, in the United States, which is Walmart, um, to change their policies and to be more inclusive. It takes time and it takes energy. Um, so... You know, I said all the people who are doing that great work on the ground out there is to keep going um, in any way that glass can be a service. Uh, we will always answer the call. Allison, thank you so much for your time and for discussing the issue with us. I think it's a great example of how we continue fighting for our rights. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Michelle. Allison Wright, she is with the Gay and Lesbian Advocates and Defenders. If you need information on their website, we'll also post it up at my website, michellemeow.com. Don't go away. When we come back, we have a special author who will be in studio. And he actually lived in San Francisco but moved away. I lived in San Francisco for 16 years. And there's this thing about, you know, those who have lived in San Francisco. We just we just find it to be this mythical and magical city. And we have this effect and this love for the city. However, it's not that easy living here, though. So we'll find out, you know, kind of his story and what his new novel's all about. Don't go away. The Michelle Meow Show continues right after this. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. 
I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years and uh, over the past couple of months I just opened up my club Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, could I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity and, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back to Little Friday, my favorite day of the week. Yes, that's right. It's now the second half of the show, and that means you can sit back, relax, have a glass of wine or a cup of milk or hot tea, whatever is your deal, because we're going to get comfortable, and uh, and I'm extremely excited for our next guest. It's author Scott Wilbanks, who is returning here to San Francisco, debuting his new novel, The Lemon Collie Life of Annie Astor. Scott, welcome back to San Francisco. Thanks, you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, no, I'm excited to hear the story of why you would leave this magical place called San Francisco in the first place. Um, do you want to answer that now? Yeah, let's do it. I'm a Doma refugee. How's that oh, to start? Yeah. Um, I moved to New Zealand five and a half years ago to marry my husband. Mm. Um, we had been together for a couple of years before that, and we were doing everything we could to bring him over to the States. But um, going through the proper channels was simply too complicated. And after about a year and a half of trying to get him here um, and just not finding an easy path to do that, mm-hmm. um, I thought, you know what, if he's willing to make that sacrifice, I have, to make, I have to do the same. And I was gone in two weeks. I was in New Zealand. I packed two suitcases. Wow. And I was there within two weeks of making the decision. Wow. Wow. And so since then, I mean, you know, now uh, here we are. Doma has been repealed. Uh, the Supreme Court has ruled, you know, on our behalf. I mean, we have marriage equality in all 50 states. How does that make you feel? Uh, well, it's pretty amazing, actually. <laughs> it's kind of, yay! Where right. were you a couple years ago? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so any plans at all in returning for good? Are we are we going to have to ship you back after well, the, this you know, book tour? Well, I have to tell you, New Zealand is pretty special 
special mm-hmm. like San Francisco, but it's a different kind of special. Did you ever see any of the Lord of the Rings movies? Yes. Or, that's yeah. New Zealand. Right, right, right. And um, it's a really, it's a socially progressive country. The people are lovely, but honestly, San Francisco is my home. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be finding our way back. Yeah. So that's, you know, the great segue to why you're here, which is this incredible new novel that you've got, um, The Lemoncholy Life of Annie Astor. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Um, now, this book, you know, is it's it's in San Francisco. It sets, the setting is in San Francisco. So yes. I wanted to ask, you know, the inspiration behind the book. Was it, you know, because you miss the city so much? Or? Oh, you're getting right to the heart of it. <laughs> the inspiration behind the, the book. Prepare yourself. It was a botched first date. A botched first date. That must (laughs) have been a botched first date with your Um, now husband? No. No, it was before I met Mike. So um, I was actually having coffee with this gentleman. Um, I was very nervous. (laughs) And I thought that things were going really well until halfway through the conversation he said, um, I think we're destined to be great friends. Oh. Which kind of put the kibosh on the conversation. Yeah. And so I... um, Got in my car with my tail tucked between my legs, and as I was driving home, I actually made up the two characters in my book in my head. And um, one of them, Annie, who is this um, San Francisco eccentric who um, only wears Victorian clothes. <laughs> and I created this other person, her name is Elspeth Grundy, who's this um, dowdy old school mom who lives in a Victorian wheat field. And um, Vic- Elspeth. She's a bit of a character. She has an arsenal of curse words to make a sailor blush (laughs) and this, like, take-no-prisoners attitude. And I built them in my head, and then when I got home, I had Annie write a letter to Elspeth asking for love advice for her love-struck friend, me, uh-huh. and I sent it to my date's work email address. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind, of, that's kind of extreme, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But, but in the book itself, I mean, the, that letter, though, it, it, it's, a, it's a whole new different kind of letter. Yes, right? yeah, yeah. Well, here's the funny thing. Um, I emailed it to him. The next day, I got a phone call from his office, and he was laughing his butt off. I could hear laughter in the background. Apparently, my email had done the rounds of his <gasps> office. No. And um, he said, um, where did this come from? And I was like, oh. And he said, Annie has to write more. And I said, sadly, she can't. And he said, well, why not? And I said, well, because Elspeth has to write back. It's only polite, as if that's you know the most obvious thing in the world. And there was a big pause, and he said, am I Elspeth? <laughs> I went from thinking this guy is just such a somewhat of a jerk and, uh, to thinking, okay, now he's well. He, no, he was definitely not a jerk. He's one of those. He's one of those. He's one of those guys that believes in dream catchers. He's very spiritual, soulful. Oh, okay. And he was gave me this whole. I think we're destined to be great friends because he was trying to let me down easy. Mm. But um, that got I, me a I second guess, date. I'm sorry. I'm a lesbian. So for me, you know, letting down. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, maybe in the gay male world, like just. You know, cut straight yeah, to the point. Well, First date, it's not working out. Well, he, uh, you know, I th- I think he was just trying to be nice to me. Yeah. But I got to tell you, it got me a second date, and it got me a letter from Elspeth. And then Annie wrote back to Elspeth, and we started corresponding. And wow. I kind of acted as the director, and um, he would take the part of Elspeth, I'd take the part of Annie. And... To be perfectly honest, Elspeth's grammar was really, really awful back then, so I had to correct a lot of her grammar. (laughs) (laughs) And that actually created um, the—I took these letters and I put them in a little pile, and that that was the inspiration. 
That's awesome. That's really cool. I love I love that. You know, authors do that. They're able to take some realistic things that happen in their life, but then create like, you know, this incredible story um, into something that we all can connect with, which is what I believe the Lemon Collie Life of Annie Astor is all about. Author Scott Wilbanks is here with us in studio. I love in studio guests because it, it just, you know, makes the conversation more fun. Scott is actually going to be at Books, Inc. August 5th uh, in the Castro. So uh, he's promised us cocktail. Cocktails, right? Yep. I cocktails. heard that before the show started. Six cocktails at six. So make sure you guys go grab a copy if you can. I already have my press co- uh, copy. I know I'm super lucky. But going back, you know, to the book, like I said, it, the setting is in San Francisco. A lot of us who live here, um, or, or and or don't live here anymore, you know, we have this like personal attachment to the city. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to check in with you to see if you know the the why you made the setting in San Francisco because those characters could have lived anywhere, maybe. Um, it's San Francisco because um, I moved here. I came out here. My experience as a an out gay man um, was in, is was San Francisco, and it it kind of becomes part of who you are. And I mm. actually wrote the book in a coffee shop in the Castro. Which coffee shop? Sweet Inspiration. Can I say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah Sweet absolutely. Inspiration. Um, I, well, we love Sweet Inspiration, but you probably can tell now if you've gone down there. I don't know how long you've been in San Francisco. Um, I've been here for about 12 hours. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you get down there, especially around Sweet Inspiration, I mean, there's like, I don't know, five coffee shops now? Uh, if not, uh, yeah, there's... I had, no, I didn't know there's, that. Uh, there's Illy, uh, the Express you know, version of their uh, cafe. There's a new Weavers in a development uh, that's brand new. So it's the bottom retail shop of a huge development that's right next to the the gay man's gym. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) That was my first gym in San Francisco. Okay. (laughs) And I think they've changed their name since because of, you know, uh, activism. Uh, Gold's Gym, maybe? No. No. Was it muscle system? Muscle. That Something sounds like that. pretty was, gay. <laughs> this was um, before a lot of people were yeah. born. So. And, and and there's a Pete's and so I and that was you know a, a great segue to my next question because I think that when you wrote this and, and not actually still living in San Francisco you probably were attached to your old memories, but part part of you know the uh, complaints that people are receiving especially from the LGBTQI community and the artist community is that the city has changed so much and it's obviously. It's, it's fat and cash. There's a lot of rich people who <laughs> yeah, live here yeah. now. Um, and so I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on, on maybe you've heard this, right, that there's new tech money here now. Well, I, you know, I, I come back to San Francisco. It's always my hub city mm-hmm. um, when I come back to the States. My family lives here. I'm very attached to my family. Mm-hmm. And they're in Texas. But I always fly through San Francisco because it's home for me. And, uh, yeah, I've seen it evolve. When I lived here, I lived in the Castro. I lived on 15th Street and it was um, it was very homey. And San Francisco still has inc- possesses that incredible charm, but maybe it's not quite as homey mm-hmm. as it used to be. Um, you know, it's um, been dolled up a lot, hasn't it? I mean, you walk into the Castro and the Castro wasn't all these mom and pop shops anymore. It's, yeah. it's, you know, there are big brands right, you know, right, and yes. sophisticated brands that have, that have taken over the Castro. And um, I, I don't have an opinion yet. I mean, the San Francisco I know and love is the San Francisco of the mom and pop, right. you know, retail outlets. Well, and going back to your novel, um, 
you know, your publicist wrote this to me and and uh, it, it struck a chord because in talking about the different people now that live in this general area, uh, more and more people are becoming marginalized. So, you know, the artist group in which as a, as a, an, a novelist and author, you're definitely a part of that versus being, you know, somebody that works for Google, for example, right? right? Yeah. And people of color, people living with HIV AIDS. I mean, probably the San Francisco that you were used to, more and more of us are being marginalized. But she wrote to me that this book at its core is a story about the marginalization of misfits and the cycle that perpetuates it. So yes, I wanted absolutely. to ask you about that. Well, um, I was sneaking in an agenda when I wrote the book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the book starts off, you know, as this epistolary war of words between these two very unlikely pen pals. And they're actually women who are separated by 100 years worth of time. And then it kind of evolves into a mystery in which these two women have to solve the riddle of this hiccup in time that sep- that has brought their two homes together because one woman lives in San Francisco, uh, contemporary San Francisco, the other one lives in um, Victorian Kansas, and they have to solve this riddle before one of them is convicted of a murder that is yet to take place, mm. yet somehow already did. But then underneath that, It's about the emotional journey of these five misfits and them trying, them looking for um, enlightenment and understanding in in a world that's pretty unforgiving. It's it's the experience that I that I lived growing up, and it's how these misfits were having a hard time finding that understanding within um, this, you know, within uh, within the community, and they actually find it with each other. So, but yeah, and they're all. they're all marginalized for different reasons because, you know, I mean, we're good at that, aren't we? <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, even just thinking about the reason why you left this country. Yes, um, yes. And yeah. you probably, that I, I thought that maybe that might also be a premise for the book too in feeling that you didn't, you, you know, obviously it could not be conclu- in, included, you and your partner, your relationship at the time. Well, I was, um, God, I hate to say this because um, it makes me sound better. But um, I, I think I did resent it a little bit that I couldn't bring Mike here. This is the country where I was born. This is mm-hmm. where I was raised. And my family's here. And um, I, I, I couldn't mm-hmm. bring him here. In. And I was not afforded um, a right that everybody else has. And so th- there was a little bit of resentment there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you move to New Zealand and you're like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> this place is pretty amazing. <laughs> We'll get to that later in the uh, after we take a break. I want to hear a little bit more about your adventures in New Zealand. But uh, focusing on the book and Annie Astor, I mean, you kind of went into the synopsis a little bit. Uh, so does a murder actually take place? Uh, is there any blood and gory or uh, um, drama in this? This book splatters itself all over the place. So there is a murder. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a genre hopper, actually. That sounds like a gunshot wound for sure. <laughs> because I know, if the, you know, if you can explain the note at the very beginning, it, it actually is a, it's almost like a threat, right? That Annie receives in the mailbox yep. of... Well, that's her. Elspeth just being Elspeth. So at the, at the start of the book, Annie is, um, she lives in San Francisco. She lives in this um, stick Victorian off of Dolores Park. And she has this gorgeous little tea garden in her backyard, you know, typical San Francisco tiny backyard. And um, she goes out every morning to have her her tea and her biscuits. <laughs> and um, she walks out into her backyard this particular morning, and her backyard is no longer there. It's been replaced by a rose garden. And surrounding the rose garden is a picket fence, and on the other side is this wheat field. And at the end of this wheat field is this cabin. 
<laughs> and um, Elspeth happens to live in this cabin, and Elspeth's not too thrilled with the fact that El- that Annie's house has just landed itself on her back forty. <laughs> so, wow. so she sends her a letter saying, wow. uh, "Get off my property." Right. She basically says, "Trespass is dealt with at the business end of a shotgun in these parts." <laughs> Gosh, that is so incredible because it's like I can, you know, your vision, your imagination is just so. It's it's this like it's so incredible. It's wide. It's it's uh, you know something that uh, <laughs> I think I think the secret to, to to an imagination like that is to holding onto the fact is to holding onto being five years old in your head. I don't think I've ever grown up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you are a lot of fun, and we're having a, a whole lot of fun with you here in studio. Um, I mean, some of the greatest things is that you've incorporated these characters that I could totally see in San Francisco. But the sad part is that uh, you know they're they're just a lot fewer now. Um, that these types of characters or yes, new characters you talked yes. about the small backyard in San Francisco, Dolores Park, and now I look back at Dolores Park. It's been remodeled. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO, of Facebook lives near there, and oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. he's re, you know he's spending ten million dollars on top of the million dollars of or billions that he's already spent, and so it's like. It's so cool to have a novel that's debuting here in San Francisco that's set in San Francisco, but, you know, during a time or these characters that once uh, that once were around are not anymore because it kind of gives us the memories of what a cool, magical place this uh, city is. we got to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll continue our discussion with Scott Wilbanks. Uh, he's the author of The Lemon Collie Life of Annie Astor. Don't go away. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, 
Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us on this little Friday. It's Thursday, the 29th. We have just a couple more days. Actually, yes, yeah, today, tomorrow, and then it's August, <laughs> which means pretty much a little over halfway uh, through the year. That's kind of, I don't know why. It kind of scares me. It feels like I'm getting old way too quickly, which is why we shall just have fun in the studio with our guest, Scott Wilbanks. Scott, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. So we were talking a little bit about, you know, your novel that you're debuting here in San Francisco. You'll mm-hmm. be at Books, Inc. August 5th. Uh, for those of you here in the Bay Area, please go check it. Check him out. Check out the novel and also come have a drink with Scott. Um, but we talked a, a lot about the main characters, Annie and Els, Elsbeth, right? Elsbeth. Elsbeth. I'm sorry. Very close. Trying to, uh, you know, give her a more masculine name. because That's, that's okay. what I lesbians called producer jock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm interested, you know, to know if there are any LGBTQI characters in your book just because, well, you are a gay man. Yes. <laughs> well, actually, the answer, the answer to that is yes. Um, the primary storyline is the one that we discussed earlier, but there is a secondary storyline. And it involves Annie's best friend. His name is Christian Keebler. And Christian is burdened by a secret um, that's buried so deeply within his subconscious that it's left him with a stammer. And the secondary storyline also involves a gentleman by the name of Edmund who brings that secret to the surface. And both of these guys um, are, again, two misfits. Um, Christian has this secret that leaves him as a loner. And Edmund um, is um, he's a, a functional drug addict. And um, they meet. Um, under the most interesting circumstances. And ultimately, it's a story about their journey together into the discovery of first love. Wow. These themes are so central, actually, I think, to uh, our lives. I mean, sure, you you can be just about anyone and you can relate, right, to some of the things these characters are going through. But uh, feeling lonely or having a big secret and being gay... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I feel like well, that's the central theme of, of, of his, our lives. His secret is that he he was he was born and raised in Texas, and he um, he is gay. He's just that he sublimated it so completely. I actually took a cue from the history books. Do you, did you know that many many years ago, when they forced students to that are right left handed to write with their right hands, that mm-hmm. we created a generation of stutterers? Mm-hmm. So I 
I took the idea that if you sublimate a, if you suppress a trait that is that is part of your genetic makeup, um, your biochemical makeup, that it can actually have it will it'll, it'll create an outlet, as right. in stuttering, and it didn't um, it. Didn't surprise me that the ten percent of the population who um, who identifies as left-handed is ten percent. Interesting. What a incredible well, comparison and correlation to the LGBT to the LGBT community. Ten percent yeah. is gay of the of the overall community. So I thought, well, what if I flipped the script and Christian um, tries so hard in his journey to be a good person according to the mores of a uh, the mores of an unforgiving society that he sublimated his sexuality so completely that he ends up having a stutter. Wow. So, wow. The, so, and I based Christian off of a, a living example. Wow. I think that that's very intelligent and forgiving because I think the reality is that for those who had suppressed their sexuality, uh, they've all turned into Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. We should run a study on that, actually. <laughs> I, you know, I'm just saying, and we are here on the Progressive Voices oh Network. Oh, so. Now you got me thinking. <laughs> that's that's a second novel coming that's up. A, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, no. Can um, I slip Ted Cruz in there somewhere? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm just going by what I'm reading. Uh, <laughs> um, what I love, I mean, I love that, you know, first of all, you're a gay author. And not, not to say that you need to be known as a gay author, but that, you know, you're writing these books that everybody can read at the same time introducing, you know, themes that do affect our lives in, and weaving them into something like this. Um, I've, I've, you know, when, when we've been introduced to other authors in our community, I, I feel like there's been a shift or a change in, in how we're writing and how we're talking about ourselves uh, throughout the years. What, what do you think of that? Well, I, I, can, uh, I can only speak to myself. Let me tell you, when I started this journey, it was, I, I, I jokingly call it the decade-long journey down a crooked path that was littered with uh, over 100 rejections. And one of the primary reasons my manuscript kept getting rejected was because of that secondary storyline. Mm. This was, um, agents were saying, you know, if you want this book to see the light of day, you've got to take out that secondary storyline. And so I had a choice to make, either be true to myself or or try to get published. And um, I'm perverse. I'm just perverse by nature. I decided instead of trying to get published, um, taking their advice, I was going to double down. Mm. And I took that secondary storyline and I worked it and I reworked it and I reworked it till I got it to the point where I was sending it out to, to readers and the commentary was shifting and the commentary was starting to focus on that secondary storyline, straight people saying, I love Christian, I love Christian. And when I'd gotten it to that point, um, I started querying agents again and I ended up getting the book, getting agented and published as much for that secondary storyline as for the book itself. So tell us that process. How many years did that take? Oh, it was almost 10 years. Right? It was nine right. years, I think, from beginning right. to end. You know, listen, when I wrote the first draft of this book, I actually wrote a stream of consciousness. I wrote a sentence, and the story behind that's kind of weird. And then I wrote a second sentence, I wrote a third. Two and a half months later, I had written almost 500 pages of the most god-awful words in the history of humanity. I mean, it was a horrible first draft. As it's supposed to be. Yeah, I guess. I didn't know them back then. <laughs> you know, you don't have a barometer, right? Uh, the one thing I learned from, you know, broadcast school was your first version of anything is supposed to suck. <laughs> yes. Just well, write I mean, it and it sucks. But but what I do want to say about that process and why I asked you, you know, kind of the timeline of, of how this all 
uh, came to be. I mean, if you think about, let's apply that to your real life and marriage equality and the reason you you moved to New Zealand. I mean, how many times did the people of America say no until we kind of, you know, figured out and we had to work it, you know, in the court system and until we finally achieved, uh, you know, equality, uh, at least as far as marriage equality. Um, and, and then now the polls are saying that, um, you know, a good little over half of Americans support marriage equality. It's I just it's interesting. 60% now. Yeah. I think it's up to 60%. Yeah. So I think it's it's interesting that what's happening in real life also can, also, you know, apply to something you're doing artistically. Well, I think that intangibly, everything, all of that experience bled its way into the book mm-hmm. um, because the book was written and rewritten many, many times, and it, it just became more mature. You know, each iteration of the book was like a ring on a tree. It just became a little bit more rewarding than the prior iteration until I got it to where it is today. That's so wonderful. It actually makes me want to read it like right now. I kind of want to kick you out of my studio <laughs> so that I can start reading it um, and just kind of immerse myself into your characters and get to know them and, and, and find myself back into a place of the uh, San Francisco that I miss. And, and as quirky yeah. as some of these characters might sound, you know, I'm, I'm kind of I'm really missing that. I'm, to well, be honest with they you. are ghosts from the past. And I'll, you know, another thing, I actually intentionally set contemporary San Francisco in the year 1995, because that was when I was living here and Mm -hmm. my life was really, really vibrant. And my memories of San Francisco and its personality, you know, are from the mid 90s on, you know, up to the early 2000s. And um, so that's the San Francisco you'll find in the book. That is so awesome. I think there's a lot of us who are tuning in right now who feel the same way as I do. So make sure you pick up a copy, The Lemon Collie Life of Annie Astor, written by Scott Wilbanks. Again, for those in the Bay Area, if you're lucky and you're here, you want to touch and feel Scott. (laughs) Now, I don't know if his husband will appreciate that, but at least you want to come have a drink with him. Head to Books, Inc. in the Castro, August 5th. Uh, you are on a book tour, and since yes. we're, you know, broadcasting here on the Progressive Voices Network, you know, after San Francisco, where to next? This is the craziest thing. Um, my publishing house, I start in San Francisco, then I go down to L.A. on the 12th. Well, the, the book event's in L.A. on the 12th. I'll probably head down a couple days early. Then Houston, Texas. Then Austin, Texas. Atlanta, Georgia. Miami, Florida, and then they're trying to work me up to the north, but they haven't had mm-hmm. dates set. They're trying to do New York, D.C., and Boston. Wow. And then, then I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I just know I need to buy more underwear. <laughs> This is so funny because most gay men I know, that's like the you know, no, it's I don't need to buy more shirts. I need to buy more underwear, <laughs> but like fifty dollar underwear or like something like that, like some Aussie bums this or something. The funny thing is, we're so tuned into color. <laughs> Nobody sees your underwear anyway because we right. don't wear the hip hop pants. We just don't. Unless you're Steve Grant, the country singer, and you want to <laughs> drop that like it's hot. Um, <laughs> So funny. We didn't mention the time, though. So at BookSync, it's 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock? 6 o'clock for the, for cocktails if you want to show up and get liquored up. Yes, And nice. then the actual book event is at 7, and you might want to be liquored up for that because I'm actually going to have to talk. Oh, whatever. You've done, an, <laughs> you've done a fantastic job here talking about your book. You're making two lesbians want to run off and get to know Annie Astor. <laughs> so, so that's incredible. Hey, Scott, it's been really fun having you here on the program and in studio. Thank you so much for this novel. I think think this is just what we need right now, uh, especially gay San Francisco. Thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure. You've been fantastic. That's awesome. I, I, yay, I got a compliment in there too. That is so incredible. 
Thanks for tuning in here to the Progressive Voices Network. We'll be back tomorrow at the same time, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. We're broadcasting John Zipper's week-to-week roundtable political talk. So if you're into politics, which I know most of you are here in the Progressive Voices Network, you'll want to tune in. For everything else, you can head to michellemeow.com. We replayed a couple of our television shows yesterday, and that is for a reason. We'd like to remind you that we also do a local television show here in San Francisco for Coffee TV and some some of the cast and characters are pretty awesome, so you can head to michellemeow.com and check it all out. I will talk to you guys all next week, uh, back Monday at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Have a great weekend. Uh-huh.